Good morning, afternoon, and evening, wherever you are. I'm Asha Nayaswamy, and we're having our morning, uh, someone called it a fireside chat. <laughs> Except there's no fire to be sitting beside. But nonetheless, that's what we're doing. Why don't we start with a prayer? Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Jesus Christ, Babaji Krishna, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, Beloved Master Paramhansa Yogananda, Saints of all religions, Dear Friend and Guide Swami Kriyananda, With devotion and love, we lay our lives in service to your cause of self-realization for all. Bless us with intuitive wisdom and the courage to follow your guidance. We are your children. Bring us home to thee. Om. Peace. Amen. I'm filming in my own living room and I realize that I would pray before I came downstairs but not in front of everyone else, so better to put our minds all in one place. Before I jump into what we're going to talk about today, which is more about karma, um, there's a couple of things I just wanted to say. For those of you who watch on Facebook, it's possible to type in questions. I won't necessarily take them in this segment, in the same segment in which you type them, but it, they, I may, or else we'll um, answer them later. Also, if you have anything that you'd like me to talk about, because <clears throat> it appears as though we're all hunkering down for a little while, and I, I intend to appear on this in this little time slot uh, fi five days a week, Monday through Thursday, and then Saturday. And uh, if there's any topics or any questions that you think would be interesting for me to talk about, I'd be delighted to receive them from you. You can post them through the Facebook or um, Asha anandapaloalto.org ashaanandapaloalto.org and if you don't remember that you can just google my name and you'll gradually find a way to reach me <coughs> I've tried to make myself available not the opposite um, the last time we spoke which was now a day ago I was talking about karma and I was in lots of different ways trying to give us a, an overview essentially of what the, the, the present day experience is about and then I received a couple of questions and also as I reflected on it there were other aspects to the subject of karma that I really thought would be helpful as I said uh, a day or two ago when I was talking about this I find that if I have a very clear idea of what the basic route is it, it's actually the love of God that gives us the power to follow it but I find that if, if my uh, devotion is supported by reason, um, it gives more strength to my devotion because then when my heart waffles, my mind can come in and remind me of the, of the, of the truth. I mean, the, the divine is, there's eight manifestations of God is how the Indian scripture talk about it. And it's um, love, calmness, peace, joy, wisdom, energy, or power, light, and sound. And they're all equal and they're all interrelated. And sometimes people will say, well, I'm a bhakti and so I don't like to think about it too much. But I think a clear mind is a great asset on the spiritual path. And, and wisdom 
is not the same as intellectuality. And that's, that's what we're trying to find here. We're trying to find true wisdom. And Swamiji was very um, committed to clarity. He called his publication company um, Crystal Clarity because clarity itself, that, that's how wisdom is obtained is when um, things become very, very clear. And I, I realized in myself that I, I've always really um, been nurtured by the wisdom aspect of God. Because if I can, if I can see clearly h- how it works, so to speak, uh, then as I said, it strengthens my heart. And then it gives me courage in my heart because the wisdom gives me faith that, that uh, there there is there is a way out <laughs> if that's if that's how we want to put it. So, uh, what, when we're talking about karma, the reason we're talking about karma is we're we're not trying to be fatalistic, and and this is sort of the point that when I was thinking about it that I felt was important to make, because there's Ananda's just um, flooding the airwaves now. Every every Ananda center and many Ananda individuals it's so easy to, to talk to each other. So people are talking, and I was commenting how, how heartwarming I find it that, that people recognize that the response, the best response to hard times is to share. So people are feeling inspired to share in whatever way comes to them to do it. Because, okay, now let me, I'm going to go to the karma story here again and give a little bit of a, an image of the mechanics of karma. People who have scientific orientations can explain this scientifically. I just have these pictures in my head. And because we ego identify with our own actions, whenever we do anything, and I said this day before yesterday in the last broadcast, it it registers in the chakras as a certain uh, commitment to a certain uh, reality as reality. And then that vibration continues with us even as we take on and off physical bodies, the, the astral body is the pattern. And this being an energy universe, the magnetic force of those um, vortices of, of, of commitment in the chakras create a magnetic field that, that draws to us the proper experiences according to God's infinite wisdom to help us gradually to transcend all wrong alternate theories of happiness, which is how I put it yesterday. Um, but, and, and that, those uh, vibrations in the chakras create our aura. And our aura is both what protects us and also what allows, what makes us permeable. If there's a place where our vibration matches a force field, then they'll merge and that energy will reach us. If our vibration doesn't match a force field, then that uh, energy will may may pass by us, but it won't penetrate into us. Okay, so this is why, and and I haven't really talked about it a lot, but a lot of other people, Ananda people, have been talking about our magnetism, because our magnetism is the energy field that's around us, and this is where the whole practice of affirmations can become so important because if we dynamically affirm and hold these powerful thoughts, we create a very powerful positive magnetism that becomes our aura. And then when, 
when vibrations that are contrary to that reality, uh, when we meet them, you know, however we meet them, wherever we meet them, they'll bounce off, so to speak. And so when we set karma in motion, and we set karma in motion by moving off of perfect stillness and perfect oneness, and which we, we move off when we incarnate, and we're moving off of it all the time. If we commit ourselves to something other than complete surrender to Satchitananda. Now bear in mind, it's not what we do, and this is the other part of it, it's what our, our vibration is within those actions. Because a master, for example, Swa, uh, mas, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, Swami Kriyananda was highly advanced, they acted very dynamically in this world, but there was this inward level of non-identification with those actions. Um, there's a, the, a state of consciousness which is called being a jivan mukta, where even though you still are incarnated as an individual, you're free because you no longer identify with any of your actions. This, I believe, was Swami Kriyananda's state of consciousness. I, that's my assertion. I can't, I can't declare it, and uh, I never asked him. But that's how I understand from everything else he said. That seems to be the truth. So even though he acted dynamically, he never created karma. He, he, because he never really moved off his awareness of his oneness with God. Whereas I become engaged in a way that actually causes me to lose touch with that. I mean, not divinely, but practically speaking, I do. So if I've moved off in any direction, through attachment, through desire, through fear, whatever it might be, real genuine commitment within me to a reality other than God. So if I've committed myself by action or thought or feeling to a reality other than God and allowed myself to live in that reality, then I've moved away from center and sooner or later, I have to move back. So sometimes people talk about karmic debts. Um, this is how Ka uh, Kamala Silva, who was a, a highly advanced disciple of Master, uh, prayed that all her karmic debts be settled in this life. When we were young devotees, uh, young as devotees, not necessarily young in years, although as it happened, I was also, um, I used to, we used to talk about Kamala's prayer, and we would talk about whether any of us had the nerve to pray it. I personally did not. I did not know what debts I had, and I did not know that I had, whether I had the courage to meet them. But actually, the point I wanted to make is, I always heard it as she, she just prayed to, to uh, meet all her karma in this lifetime. And then later I heard it, that she actually said it as karmic debts. And that word debt really became interesting to me, and that's also helped me get an image of what karma is about. Um, I have a credit card, which I use, which I pay off every month. So only once did I get kind of garbled because I was traveling and I missed it and I ended up having to pay all this interest and it was very annoying. But most of the time, I, I, I use the credit card, I let them advance the money to me, and then at the end of the month I pay them back. I don't carry any debt. When I, when I borrow money from people, if I do for any reason or if I owe them, I like to pay it right away. I just don't like to have a debt. 
Swami, I, I learned that somewhat from Swamiji. Swami owed money, and on occasion he would borrow it for reasons, one reason or another. He would pay it back as fast as he could. He just never liked to carry a debt. Well, a debt is where you've taken the benefit of some resource, but you don't actually have an actually, it's not your resource, you've just spent it. And so then it's, it's out of balance. So when we seek our happiness, and sometimes our happiness is in misery, <laughs> meaning that we, we think that the best thing to do right now is to be frightened or grief-stricken. We, we, we want an experience that is outside of Satchitananda. We move off-center, and so we have taken an experience from the material world, and we're trying to hold it and keep it as our own, but but it, it's not really our true nature. We've taken something that isn't ours, and sooner or later we're going to have to give it back. <laughs> we're going to have to balance. We're going to have to have that same experience and make a different choice, is one way of putting it. We have to, it's a debt. It's a debt we have to pay because we've chosen an alternate theory of happiness. We've spent that energy and that time, and now we have to bring all that energy back and give it to God. So that's what's happening to us when experiences come to us that challenge our equanimity. Whether they excite us too much into, now, now I have what I want, I have the perfect house, I have the perfect husband, I have the perfect children, or, oh no, I've lost everything and now I'm grief-stricken and I have no reason, you know, no reason to live anymore. Whatever it is, we've moved off-center and we, we owe something now. We have to fill it in. Now, the purpose of having to fill it in is to teach us that everything we seek is in God. There's no, I mean, God is not, uh, the divine is not vindictive. There's no punishment. We're not being punished for our wrong actions. Just the opposite. God is cheering us on and wants us to get it right and is there to help us to get it right. And, and if we are blessed enough to become disciples of a master. The master is with us every step of the way trying to make it work. So the only purpose of having to pay this back is so that we can then live in the right way. So when you m make a, a, an error of judgment and, and commit yourself, when we commit ourselves to an alternate theory of happiness and f roll out the whole scenario that's involved there, it doesn't always uh, boing back on us immediately. If it boing back on us immediately, it would be very easy to learn. Because mistake, consequence, mistake, consequence, mistake, consequence. You put your hand on a hot stove, you know that your hand hurts because of the hot stove. You don't have to do it 50 times because it's just right there. But karma, because of what Master called the thwarting cross-currents of ego, which is just a marvelous bit of wordsmithing, the thwarting cross-currents of ego, even though we make a mistake over here, we may have enough positive dynamic energy over here that we can just roll over it. The image that I've often used is if you're a 12-year-old bully and there's a three-year-old kid on a tricycle and you're barreling down the sidewalk on your two-wheeler and just out of sheer mean-spiritedness, you kind of nick him as you go by and knock him off his tricycle. He can be furious at you, but you just keep peddling. 
And so you created a karma that's going to have to be returned because you thought happiness would come from you to you by taking advantage of someone weaker. And that was a, that was a mistake in judgment. It moved you off center. So something's going to have to push you back to center. You're going to have to fix that energy. But you're strong enough to keep going, and he's only a three-year-old kid. But then he grows up. He becomes the bank manager. You become a businessman. And you really need a loan. But he's not about to give it to you. Because <laughs> he, he, you know, he knows that you ran into him with his bicycle, your bicycle. And he's just been waiting to get big enough to get back at you. Now, that's just a silly story, but you get the picture. It took a while. And you might not even remember. And he might not even remember. But when he looks at you, he just doesn't trust you. So he's not going to give you the loan. Because you don't deserve it. Because it has to balance. You don't get what you want. So that's the thwarting cross-current of ego. So it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't catch up to us for a while. So you, you think of it like the boomerang. You throw a boomerang out and if it's a, let's just say it's a really big boomerang and it goes a long, long time, you could have multiple incarnations, several different families, you could change professions, you could live and die, you could have all kinds of experiences, but that boomerang is still traveling out there. It's still traveling because it's connected to you. And sooner or later it's going to hit you. But maybe in the meantime, a whole lot of other things happened and you, you began to learn. You know, we, we really began to learn. Now we know. And, but still, the fact that I ran into that little kid with my bicycle is still out there to be balanced. But by the time it comes to me, perhaps I've created such a strong aura now of love and kindness and forgiveness that there's not much opening for that to come in. So it may make it in a little way. And so somebody may actually um, be slightly rude to you at the grocery store, you know, or you might have a near miss. Or, or instead of being knocked off your bicycle, you just sort of stumble for a moment. It's, it's mitigated. It, it literally burns up coming through the atmosphere of your aura. And so in that way, the more powerful your magnetism is, it not only uh, creates positive karma going forward, but it also, it's the manifestation that the lesson has been learned and so there's no divine purpose in it coming to you anymore. The physics of it are that there's no vibratory connection anymore. You know, that mean action, there's no meanness in your aura now. So the meanness is converted into kindness, or as I say, it, it can't even get there at all. Or, and here's the nicest and the most beautiful part of it. This is the part I love. Let's say from the time that you stole your brother's inheritance and didn't care that his family was displaced from their home because you were fine. You've had a lot of bad things happen to you and you've realized that I am one with all there is and if my brother suffers, I suffer and there's no happiness in his misery and countless other lessons that may have been very hard to learn but in the course of that one prayed the what I call the piglet prayer often enough. The piglet prayer is when Pooh and Piglet are out on an expotition and they get lost in the fog and they have no idea where they are and they're just out there and they don't know what to do and they're just sort of trying to decide what to do and Piglet, who, who doesn't always have as much courage as Pooh, puts his head down like this 
in the little illustration, he puts his head down like this. Then he lifts his head up and he says, help, 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 help. And then he drops his head down again. And I think the piglet prayer is extremely powerful. And so what happens to us is somewhere in the course of our incarnations, we suddenly realize that I don't know what I'm doing. Swami describes that in, uh, whenever Swami would talk about how he came to Master. He would talk about this determination. He, he realized that he needed to transform himself. He'd advanced to that point. He'd been introduced to the basic principles of self-realization. So he, he tried to work on himself, but he said it was like washing a shirt in a small sink, where if you've ever tried to do it, a part of it is always floating up. And you push that part down and then something else floats up. And you push that part down and something else floats up. And when the ego tries to transform itself without opening itself to divine grace, you, you push here and it pops up there and you push here and it pops up there. You know, you try to become independent and you become uh, you're independent of, of other people's points of view and you become a little bit ruthless in your disregard of them and so you become you try to become sympathetic to other p people's points of view and you lose your own center and you try to help the world and you get dragged down by their suffering you just you just go in circles and you just can't you just can't figure it out and so at a certain point you collapse and you just say help 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 even if you don't know who you're asking to help you but you you pray that and so when the disciple is ready, the Guru comes, just, just like that. And so maybe in the course of all these in, in, incarnations, well, you know, you've sent out all these boomerangs, but in the time it's taken them to get back to you, you've become a disciple. And, and now you're willing, one is willing to pay back all one's karmic debts. One is no longer trying to take from the universe. One is trying to live in harmony with the universe. And the, the fundamental principle is understood. And then what the, all the scriptures say is, the, the guru will take the karma for you. And that picture, I mean, it's just, it's such a, uh, an amazing picture. And the way Swamiji often explains it is, you know, if, uh, if a strong man comes and wants to beat up a child, he could, you know, seriously injure or kill that child. But if a strong, stalwart father puts himself between the bully and the child, the bully may pound on the father, but the father has the strength not to even to be bruised by that. So if the guru sees that the, that the disciple no longer needs this lesson, he just doesn't need it, he's already learned it, he would accept it with courage, we would accept it with courage, with surrender and grace, but there's no point in it. Then the guru, literally, when, when the boomerang comes, he'll just stand between you and it. And maybe a little ripple will get back to you, maybe nothing at all. It'll just pass by. It, a wonderful um, spiritual practice that we all often follow is when anything untoward happens, an injury or anything like that, we say mitigated karma. You know, it was, it was meant to be worse, but the guru stood between me and it. And uh, there are several examples, Swami talking in the path, about how um, certain things happen. Like, you know, Master talked about this young boy who, uh, he saw a black cloud around him. And I, I can't remember exactly, but he had a small injury, 
And Master said, well, he was destined to lose a hand or to lose a finger. But uh, it was mitigated because of the magnetism and the grace and the receptivity of the disciple at that point. So all of this is to say, don't worry about it. And the other question, the other question I was asked, which I think is really important to put in, to make clear here, we can't always make things come out right. So the measure of actually dealing properly with our karma is not that it works out. Because oftentimes it just isn't destined to work out. We're not here to control the world. But if we have the right inner attitude, and that right inner attitude is not perfection, (laughs) necessarily. It's perfection of intention. At one point, I used to imagine that merely because I had something, uh, merely because I had something to say, I ought to say it. (laughs) I don't know how else to put that. But I, I gradually came to learn, and Swami really had to teach me, that it's not merely whether or not something is helpful or even true, It's whether or not people are going to be helped by my articulating it. And of course, that's an intuitive call that's a little hard to say. And certainly, my egoic satisfaction in being able to articulate something clearly often blinded me to whether or not it was helpful, that articulation would be helpful for someone else to hear. And I had a particular experience with Swamiji where he where someone reported me to him for uh, giving really bad advice. (laughs) And the report, what the man said I said was nothing that I said, because I wasn't wasn't that dumb. But nonetheless, that's how he heard it. So how he heard it was really the only uh, issue for this. I I resigned from the ministry. I offered Swami a resignation from the ministry because I was just beside myself. I didn't know what to do. This was quite a few decades ago, but the the same faults have persisted. But um, he wouldn't accept that. And I said, but Swamiji, I just, it's like I feel like I'm I'm trying to be helpful. Um, And I was quite upset by that point. I think I was crying. And then he said to me back, God reads the heart. And I didn't even quite understand what Swami meant there, and I've spent decades meditating on that, and it's actually been a tremendous comfort to me ever since. Because often, for many reasons, our intention is pure, but other people are not where we want them to be, and they're not even wrong in their own way. They're just not following our plan for their lives. Often, circumstances and situations are simply not going to come out the way we want them to come out. And even a a valiant effort on our part. I've seen Swamiji make a valiant effort on many occasions and then just have to realize it's just not meant to be. But what God pays attention to is the purity of our intention. And in, 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 in resolving and working out karma, by no means does it mean that it always comes out right. That everybody forgives and loves and everybody gets what they want and you know, the money's in the bank and the house is saved and the heroine is rescued, by no means. Oftentimes things either don't resolve at all, end up in a mess, or even end up tragically. But success for us is in the purity of our intention 
and the purity of our love for God in the midst of it. And that's our magnetism. Our magnetism is the degree to which, in all situations, we can say, thank you, God. Uh, there's a prayer that I, I came up with, and I was praying it when my parents were in their last years. Um, it was the way I found to deal with their debilitating condition. But I've also found it extremely useful for myself and for everyone. And it's, it's very simple. Divine Mother, whatever you're trying to teach me, give me the humility, the receptivity, the wisdom, and the devotion to learn it. That's it. That's what we're here for. God bless you.